Asama dudes. It is Monday, and you know what that means. It is another episode of Big Stick Energy coming at you live from the Out of Bounds Collective. My name's Tori. Um, you can find me at Tori A. Alina on Instagram, and you can find my co-host and best friend for life, Renee McCurdy, at Renee McCurds on Instagram. We are two of the five co-founders of the Womb Tang brand. And uh, yeah, super stoked to be back after a couple weeks off. I am currently trying to figure out how to balance working as a full-time professional, uh, doing podcast stuff, womb tank stuff on the side, and then also skiing and just trying to be a human. It's freaking hectic out there and it doesn't really leave you with a lot of gas in your tank at the end of the day. So just want to say a quick thank you to Renee for kind of doing the last couple episodes solo dolo and I'm excited to be back and for the support of Adam and Ethan and everybody at Out of Bounds Collective. Well, I got my poop in a group because boundaries are hot. Mental health is important and we talk about it all the time. So you guys know the drill. Anyways, stoked to be back today. Um, this episode, we are interviewing Natalie Alport. She is a freaking weapon with a really, really inspirational and active history in sport. She was a professional snowboarder, uh, started snowboarding around the age of 12, and by the age of 17, was competing on the national team and the World Cup circuit for Canada. Um, she's had multiple injuries, is now like a super competitive CrossFit athlete, has her own podcast. And this episode, we really dove into that mindset of progression. So what it takes to keep persevering past injury, the importance of mental health in sport, how it's something that's often neglected when athletes reach out for help and that finding a psychologist with experience and understanding the risks and the benefits of the sports that we do. Um, she also gives a bunch of really awesome training tips because we all know that if you're at your best physically, you can reduce the cost of injuries and what it was like to grow up in that environment and having your identity be so attached to a sport. It was honestly so rad to talk to her. And if you want to hear more from her, I highly recommend checking out her podcast. She was an awesome podcast guest to have. And this episode is, yeah, it's pretty dope. I keep saying they're all dope, but that might just be the truth of it. Um, anyways, before we dip into this episode today, I also just wanted to invite everybody, if you feel so inclined, to leave us a review on whatever platform you're streaming on. It helps us kind of push these conversations forward, make sure we're getting more people in our communities and having these like super important conversations and just elevating the culture of the industry to just chat about all of that good stuff. Um, it means a lot to us. You can even tell us a dad joke if you want. Give us a one star if you really hate us. It doesn't really matter. Just like, you know, hit the keyboard and tell us what you think. Um, so before we get into today's episode, we're just going to go through a quick ad because without sponsors, we wouldn't be able to do what we do. So here we go. Let's face it. If you're active, the risk of injury is always present, meaning if we push ourselves too hard, we're just one accident away from crushing medical expenses. Not to mention less time doing the stuff that we love, struggling with our mental health. You know, injuries are so much more than the actual injury. That's why Spot partners with ski resorts like Telluride uh, and organizations like USA Cycling 
and they work with events like Red Bull Last Stand to offer injury insurance with lift tickets, memberships, or race registrations. Spot easily integrates with any booking platform and does all the heavy lifting to ensure guests are covered. They also have a really cool individual plan that's only $25 a month, and it's specialized towards covering people that do gnarly stuff because it's really hard to get insurance companies to cover us if we're doing dumb stunts. Um, with Spot, if your customer or if your event attendee, uh, competitor ends up getting hurt, Spot will cover up to $25,000 of their out-of-pocket medical bills per incident with zero deductibles. With Spot, all of your customers can focus on a full and quick recovery so they can get back to their best lives and you are also covered. It also allows you to be covered as an individual because we know that medical expenses can be super hectic, especially if you love to travel and do dumb stuff. Visit outofbounds.getspot.com to partner with Spot and kind of get the ball rolling on some awesome coverage for your business and your community. Um, yeah, that's learn more at outofbounds.getspot.com. Uh, Natalie, do you want to introduce yourself a little bit? Like the ABCs, who's who's and what's what's? Yeah, let's do it. I'll give like the Cliff Notes version, I guess, of my story in sports and, and life. Um, I grew up, I actually was born in Vancouver, which I don't know how I turned out to be a snowboarder having moved at five years old back to the East Coast, unfortunately. Um, but I was on skis at like two and then got really into hockey and hockey was like my life dream. I wanted to be like the national hockey players, the the women I saw on TV, they were like my whole goal. Uh, I slept with my hockey equipment. I was just super passionate about sports. And uh, then I kind of got into skateboarding. I was basically did like every sport throughout school. I was kind of the typical, um, like getting called a tomboy at school, playing all the sports, dribbling my basketball on my skateboard while going to school. Uh, and then I uh, found snowboarding and I think I was like 12. So it was kind of late to the game, but all of like the quote unquote cool kids at my school snowboarded and I wanted to be like them. So traded in my skis for a snowboard. And I guess five years later, ended up on the junior national slope style team did two junior world championships until I aged out, competed on the World Cup World Tour uh, circuit, tried to qualify for the 2014 Olympics, uh, was injured for most of the, the process, uh, fell short. And then in 2015, at the end of the season, decided to walk away from competing in, in snowboarding and then kind of been rebuilding my love and like relationship with it ever since, as well as I've been competing kind of all around the world uh, at a high level in CrossFit since then. So that's kind of my sport journey and a lot of little moments in between there of different things with mental health and coming back from injuries and stuff like that. There is lots to dive into there. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> uh, what was it about snowboarding that just got you hooked? Because if you're, you're skiing before, but snowboarding is what you really, really got into, it sounds like. Yeah, like my whole family skis. Actually, people who listen to the podcast, I'm going to shout out my brother because he has a like he's really popular on TikTok. Um, his name is Freddie and he does like these TikToks explaining ski equipment and ski reviews. Um, but yeah, they're they're all skiers. I think I just like being different in a sense than the rest of my family. Um, as well as like I had started skateboarding. I had watched like X Games. I thought it was really cool. And then a weird thing was after I 
tried snowboarding once. I ended up being horrible at it, but for some reason was like, I really want to get good. It wasn't like a class at school where you're not doing good at it. And you're like, I just want to tune out. It was the opposite effect. And so I was like, what is it about this that like makes me want to get good at it? But then I watched the movie MVP, you know, that one most valuable primate and the kid is like snowboarding. I had a dream in class, like as if I was a kid and I was riding through Colorado. I was like, I just want to snowboard. Um, and so I started pursuing it and then eventually had to make the decision between snowboarding and hockey and to my parents dislike, I chose snowboarding because at that time, like even slipstyle wasn't in the Olympics yet. So they thought I was just going to be like a ski bum. Um, but it all kind of ended up working out. Yeah. So you competed at the junior level. At what point did you find snowboarding competitions then? Yeah, so I could, uh, I guess I was like just entering small competitions in the Ottawa area at first. So I'd be like one of two girls. And then I would do all the rail jams. We were lucky here in Ottawa. We actually had like a pretty big rail jam that was hosted kind of like downtown in a parking lot. It was kind of like an October scaffolding type thing. That always attracted some like really good rail riders. So I did that for like five years until eventually it kind of ended. Um, and then I started entering like some bigger contest. And then my big first win was the Billabong Flaunted. Um, and when I won that, I got to go out to California. I like won against girls, like pro riders I'd seen in magazines. So I was like super hyped. I was 17. And then it turned out that summer, uh, snowboarding got into the Olympics and I got onto the junior national team. And then, yeah, spent four years doing like the World Cups and that whole circuit. That's rad. Um, and then you talked about in your intro, kind of around 2014, you also experienced some injuries while you were trying to then reach that Olympic goal. Yeah, I have. Well, so actually before even like the Billabong flaunted, I went into that with a broken tailbone. So that was one of my first big injuries when I was, yeah, 16, 17. Um, that was a tough one. There's not much you can do for a tailbone. So I kind of pushed through that. Uh, definitely a a lot of concussions, especially coming from a hockey background. I had already kind of experienced concussions as a child. So that, like the weight of that definitely added up. Um, going into the 2014 Olympic season, what I had was basically I exploded my heel. So we thought it was a bruised heel. I tried to keep going to different competitions. I went to World Cups, Nationals, Junior Worlds. And every single time I would spend the whole time in the hotel, like contrast bathing, I would go out, like ride okay in practice, and then all of a sudden I would overshoot a jump and it would happen again. And so like throughout the whole season, I really never got to get like a good event in. And then it turned out at the end of the, the season, I had a sport med who took special interest in my case. And he had another sport med that he had a connection with. And they'd only ever seen the injury when someone fell like three stories out of a building and broke everything like their hip, knee, like femur. And then six months later, they're like, I can't put any weight on my heel. So I was super lucky that I was like strong and stable and didn't break anything up the chain. But yeah, my heel fat pad basically exploded, which they can't actually do anything about. So without telling me, he actually told my physio that he didn't think I'd ever be able to jump again. Um, but I put in like six months of daily physio squatting, like going to the gym and I was able to like return back the next season. Damn. That's gnarly. It was yeah. a, such a weird injury. Like I haven't really heard of it because everyone gets bruised heels. That's pretty normal. So we thought it was that, but unfortunately it wasn't just that. Yeah. That's insane. I've had bruised heels before and they're unbelievably painful. So I couldn't even imagine like exploding your, your heel pad. That's bananas. Yeah. Um, also and though, like, oh man, there's so many questions I have after I just like finish eating my Annie's <laughs> listening <laughs> to all of that. Um, 
But I, I think it's interesting, like I've had that happen too. And I've, I've heard a lot of stories that are similar to yours where a physio is like, you will never do this again. And then people do. And I wonder if that's just extreme side of caution, but I find that, you know, strength and cap like making sure your body's strong is a great way to come back from injury. And you're definitely an expert in that from, I mean, CrossFit and everything. So yeah, I was lucky. Like he did the sport med told my physio that, but they didn't pass it along to me until after I was like back doing stuff. So I think that was like the really positive thing psychologically, okay. because in my head, I was like, you know, I had no doubt. I was like, this is just a small injury and just a roadblock. And like, I'm going to spend the summer getting strong and, and get back there. Um, otherwise, like, I think if you would have told me that could have affected, you know, my mindset of like, oh my God, this is really serious. I'm never going to be able to do this. Um, so he, he treated me in a way, like looking back, I don't think there was no signs that he didn't have confidence that I would get back there. It was just in retrospect, I learned that he was having some doubts if it was possible with the, with the injury, especially having not like really seen it before. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had a great team around me to, to get me back on my feet. Thank thankfully. Yeah. Sick. Um, so what, what led to you leaving snowboarding? Was it that injury specifically? No. So I ended up coming back, you know, I had two world cups before the uh, Olympic team was selected. Um, one of my best friends ended up making it, which was awesome. I then hurt my AC joint. So I was out on the couch while the Olympics were happening and just watching them. And um, I still like 2018 was that, that long trajectory, especially having been a younger athlete at that time, you know, my whole game plan with the national team coaches was like 2018 is, you know, the real realistic trajectory um, had that in my game plan. And then something just felt off in 2015. As I started like the season, I was out in Whistler, I was training and I was starting to get homesick. I was feeling really depressed. I didn't want to go out snowboarding. I was riding really well. Like I had a pretty good season, but something was just really off. I was getting anxiety and panic attacks. And looking back, there were like warning signs, but at that time, mental health wasn't really talked about, especially mental health and action sports. Um, and I didn't realize like the weight of all these different injuries I had gotten, the fear I had, like every day I started becoming um, more fearful and having different excuses as I was going into try new tricks, especially if I like hit my head, I'd be a little bit more cautious than I was before. If I had a small pain in my neck, I was like, I'm going down a physio. And then my coaches would be kind of like, what's going on with Natalie? Like, why is she skipping out of this training session? And so as things kind of progressed through the season, I also saw um, some of my like close friends get into like pretty, pretty heavy injuries, um, like getting blood pumped out of their lungs, like just witnessing some of those things and just how I was feeling. It kind of all added up to being like, is this really what I want to keep doing? Can I put my body through this? Can I put my mental, um, yeah, just like my, my mind through this again. And so I decided at the end of the season to, uh, the best thing for my mental health is to walk away, which then caused a whole trajectory of, dark times because the identity of being an athlete and pursuing the Olympics and that whole thing is, you know, something that you cling onto very tightly. So I had to relearn who I was after that as well. Yeah, there's, I mean, a lot that goes into that. I mean, even when you're talking about your injury before, like the mental and physical strength to keep lining up and hitting jumps with an injury that is that painful, like that's, wild and I think it says a lot about the sport and now then you're seeing all these people that you know and they're having these really severe injuries and we do this crap 
and that's a side effect of it but yeah we're still up there we're doing it and it's like kind of crazy when you sit back and you and you think about it like having competed in free ride myself like i've seen some big crashes and like still watching it i still see these huge crashes and i i still want to be out there and do it sometimes but then i'm glad that i'm not and the mental and physical strength that goes into some of these sports and like as you're talking about that i'm thinking like is was there anyone on the team that could support those sides of things yes you have a physio but when you're struggling more with the mental side and with fear that maybe not rational maybe it's not like is there someone there that you can process that with because it was like you said at a point where mental health was not as openly talked about yeah, I, you know, I think some of that is just not proactive mental health. Like we did have a sports psychologist and I feel like I used her a lot before events. Um, but I just felt like there wasn't that click there yet about, you know, what she was helping with and if she even understood action sports. I think that was a big thing. Having a sports psychologist that comes from different sports and mostly they're learning about like, or they're talking about performance anxiety. Are you nervous to uh, deal with the pressure? Are you like worried that you're not going to make it to the Olympics or these things? And I was like, no, I, I love the pressure. I love competing. I love like putting myself under that. But I'm worried that if I catch my edge, I could land on my head and die. And it, they, I felt like the sports psychologist didn't understand that because she didn't have the background um, in the sport. And so that caused me not to really reach out with other things. And especially, you know, other things outside of sports, like, hey, I'm feeling like this as a human being, I just didn't really feel like the relationship was there to reach out about some of those things. And I think those are things that need to be in place for athletes to have support all around because you're supported as a total human being, you're going to be a better athlete as well. A hundred percent. Yeah. I think there's some really good examples of athletes like, uh, and they're, they're women stepping back because of mental health reasons. One is Simone Biles um, from, was that the Olympics? I think it was. Yes. Tokyo yeah. last summer. Yeah. But the backlash that she got and people telling her that she should just quit your week, your all of this stuff. And then recently Michaela Schifrin, who is like the best female speed skier, technical like ski racer in the world, and I'm just like dipping into the ski racing world because of my new job. But it's a uh, she pulled out and she did this big thing on social media because she was literally getting like like threats from people telling her she's weak and she should stop. She's a little girl. She's like washed up, all this kind of stuff. And it's like there's this inherent toughness that comes with adrenaline sports where you're just supposed to like grin and bear it through injuries and stuff. And if you don't have somebody to support you through that, that understands how gnarly stuff can get. Like I've, I've really struggled with concussions. I'd be curious to pick your brain on mental health and concussions. Cause it's one of the hardest injuries I've ever had to deal with. Yeah. And, um, I had a, a similar talk with myself this year after finding out some stuff about my brain and being uh, neurodivergent where I recovered from a, a concussion in the spring last year where I landed on my ass and I got a really severe concussion from my oh, ass. Wow. I was just like, are you, kidding me like seriously <laughs> and I I had to like admit to myself I was like I'm about to graduate university I'm about to step into a full-time professional role and I don't know if I can handle another concussion like it's going to set me back financially it's going to set me back mentally the recovery period is so difficult and like a concussion makes some of those neurodivergent um like symptoms and traits that I have a million times worse and I was just like you know what I'm not going to I'm 
retiring or not even it's like i'm just not going to compete i'm not going to be an idiot it's like it's not what it's about anymore so which is hard it's yeah yeah i yeah i can imagine that being extremely difficult i had a, a friend audrey mcmahon she competed on uh, the slope style team when i was as well and she was amazing amazing rider and uh the year after i stepped away i went to go visit and stay with her to watch everybody else competing at the big air in uh, quebec city and she was taking the year off because she also had a, a really bad concussion and was recovering. And now she's gone on to compete at snowboard cross in the Olympics, the past Olympics, which is incredible. But she had to stop step away from slope style because of, you know, just the amount of concussions. And yeah, there's so many. And that was a big concern when I was experiencing depression and anxiety after stepping away was when I went to therapy. The first test after hearing my background in concussions was like, we are going to give you every test to see if like this is coming from, you know, possible brain injuries. Thankfully, uh, it wasn't that like my memory tested high, all these different things. And I was really like thankful for that. But they told me like you with your history, like you don't want to be getting another concussion. And so that's definitely it's always in the back of my mind because I love doing other action sports, too, and like sending it and mountain biking and and doing different things. But you definitely want to be cautious, especially when you have other passions like for me now, CrossFit for you, you know, your work and your job. And that affects a lot. Hell yeah. Yeah, it's um, I had the exact same conversation with my uh, concussion specialist. He was like, you cannot hit your head again. Like you cannot, you've had so many critical concussions in a short period of time. And like, when you have a really bad one, you become more susceptible. So it's like, you can have a minor fall and you can become concussed. So I like really dedicated myself to uh, going to the gym and making sure my neck was as strong as it could be, my core, my shoulders, everything. So that if I did fall, I could keep my head off the ground. But then right. through the pandemic, um, because like I, I was going to the gym at my school and you couldn't really go to the gym when everything was locked down and it was just like finding motivation at home was difficult. So my core and my neck got really weak and then I didn't hit my head, but I landed on my ass and I got a concussion. And that was just a yeah. huge, it honestly terrified me. Like I was scared to try skateboarding again. Cause I was like, concrete is freaking hard. <laughs> like yes. there's no cushion, there's no give and learning how to mountain bike like this summer as well after recovering from that concussion. It's just like all the things I love to do have so much risk inherent like with them and yeah I think um if if someone hasn't had a concussion they don't really understand how hard it is I find that concussions also suffer similar stigma to like mental health because it's so internal like I found people judge me a lot when I was like no like I can't go to that restaurant because the lights are so intense that I feel dizzy it's like they don't really understand that that is a real experience until they have one but I would never ever wish a severe concussion on anybody it's horrible Right. Yeah. I, it's, those are tough ones, but I do think it makes like, especially, you know, dealing with mental health stuff, concussions, like empathetic to other people's experiences. So I, I saw a post, I think it was yesterday. Um, and it was comparing when people break their arm or their leg, um, like people are like, what can I do? Can I pick up your groceries? Can I do this? So for example, going to a restaurant, they're like, maybe let's not go to that restaurant because there's no ramp for you to get in with your broken leg. But when it comes to a concussion or mental illness or mental health issues, you know, you're feeling down or you can't go to the restaurant because of the lights, like people don't make the same reasonings. They don't say, oh, let's not go there because there's no ramp for you to get up with your crutches or things like that. And I think that's definitely what needs to change just because we can't see it doesn't mean it's not real. A hundred percent. You could also say the same thing with like, uh, you know, like being autistic or having like, um, 
a neurological disability. You can't see it. You can't make assumptions about it. Um, like you, you don't know who has those traits or has that different uh, brain structure. And people seem to not know a lot about it and they don't know how to be empathetic. And it's like, don't use this as an excuse. Don't do this. Don't do this. And it's, it's really interesting. Like TikTok is such a weird world, but there's like this huge neurodivergent and like mentally ill community online. <laughs> and it's so funny to see people coming together and being like, yeah, I have that experience too and finding support in other ways. Cause in reality, like being able to share those experiences means that we'll start to see that shift and people will become more cognizant of those differences and that internal reality. And it's really cool to see that movement moving forward. It would just be awesome if we could see it penetrate the adrenaline and outdoor industry a little bit more. But there's other systemic layers in there that need to be unpacked as well, like the fact that it is a predominantly masculine space and, you know, unpacking the patriarchy and like feelings are bad. Ski racing's good. I'm a man. I go down the mountain fast. I chop wood. It's just like, I don't know. There's not a lot of place for feelings, but it's yeah. spaces like these where that's starting to change, I think. And uh, I think that the industry is moving forward, even if it's at like a very slow pace, it is moving forward, which is rad. <laughs> so yeah, I think, yeah, in all sports, but like you said, with action sports, that is hard. And like, even looking back at my own experience, I grew up riding with all like men and guys and um and I think that definitely rubs off to having that like mindset internalized like who do I reach out to for help I can't reach out for uh reach out for help you know people will think I'm weak or people think I'm living the dream snowboarding for a living but I'm here I am depressed like I feel guilty for feeling like that like all those feelings are such like they're just things that need to be unpacked in sports in general but especially in action sports 100 yeah. percent um yeah. coming back to your story a little bit because kind of where we left off there was um, you leaving competing and essentially like trying to find yourself again. And that was where you kind of had your mental health struggles. So what was that like for you and, and where did it take you? If you're yeah. sharing. <laughs> it was like a really, really rough time. Like, I think it was a spring when I decided to like, you know, message the national team coaches and say like, Hey, don't, you know, consider me for next year's, next year's team. Um, I think I worded it like I'm taking a break, but like, I kind of think that was in kind of implied that it would be permanent. Uh, they really didn't see it coming, which was, I thought like in my head that I was like, oh my God, I'm making all these excuses all season. They probably think I'm like, you know, becoming weak and all these things, but they actually said like, they didn't notice at all um, that I was different, you know, like my results were there and, and um, things like that. And so yeah, it was like a, a really big struggle, especially for me. Like I was like, okay, I'm going to dive into CrossFit. Like I have this whole plan of like what I'm doing with my life now. I'm going to, you know, still be a full-time athlete with this. And, but then also like I joined CrossFit and kind of the people who I made friends with there were like excited that I was part of the national team program for snowboarding and competing around the world. And so all of a sudden they're asking me like, what's happening for next season. And I was just would burst out crying. I think like every day I'd go to the gym and just be like, I cannot handle getting questions about like, why did you stop competing? Why did you make this decision? It doesn't make any sense. You're only like, you know, I think at that time I was like 21, like you're super young. It doesn't make sense to, for you to walk away from your sport and, and blah, blah, blah. And so that was really, really tough um, because yeah, I felt like that was just my whole identity. I also felt like all the struggles I'd gone through, like financially injuries, all these things in my head, I would always narrate them as like, when you make it to the Olympics, you make it to X games, like that will all pay off. 
um, and they don't matter until that happens. And so all of a sudden pulling out before I got to that level, before I made it to the Olympics was like, oh, like who am I? And do all those things, the struggles I went through matter? And so it's just been a process over the years of like rediscovering who I am and how those like those things I went through actually have made me who I am and have made me empathetic to other people who are going through that and um, have pushed me into the sports I do now and all the different things I do in life. But yeah, it was just a, a dark time. I was lucky to get therapy, um, to have family support. That was huge too. And, and friends as well who were really supportive while I wasn't really acting like myself or being myself. Um that was definitely really beneficial. And yeah, the, that whole process was just super long. I thought it'd be like easy transition. Next year, I'm going to the CrossFit Games. It's going to be like a crazy uh, Cinderella story. And that just wasn't the case. And then throughout CrossFit, I've also had injuries and, and different highs and lows as well. And so just realizing that life is that whole series of highs and lows. It's not just going to be like the story that you've made up in your head. Yeah, for sure. Um you mentioned to you like financial support while you were snowboarding. And I just want to quickly like ask you like, what was the support like when you were competing? Cause you were at that world cup level. And I know there has been a lot more chatter nowadays about what support people are getting, but did you have a lot of financial support or were you fronting a lot of that yourself as just like an aside that I am curious about? Yeah, like we had to front a lot of it ourselves. I had, I mean, like if you go to Junior Worlds and stuff, I think usually you paid for your flights, but like the rest, like physio and all that stuff, that was all like covered coaching and and all that stuff, which was great. But um, yeah, I, I was carded one year, um, which was helpful, but it really was nothing. Like a snowboard season costs tens of thousands of dollars and you got maybe $10,000 total. Um, I also got quest for gold from Ontario, which was, that was kind of beneficial, but I think it was like five grand. So again, that's like maybe one world cup trip, two world cups trips. Um, coaching also was, um, really expensive as well. And, um, I was lucky to have sponsors that would help with some different things through the national team. We had like free passes, most places that we went as well. So that was really great. I didn't have to buy like a Whistler season pass. Cause I know that's also very expensive. Um, so yeah, mix of sponsorships, funding, and then usually I would just like work in the summer. Um, and that would make up the difference that I needed. And that was also really tough for me because everyone was snowboarding, you know, 12 months a year, people were going to New Zealand and Australia and I couldn't afford to yet. I was competing at the same level and same competitions as them. And so I always was feeling like I was getting behind and it was actually part of why I got so much into the gym because that was something I could control when I was home was like, okay, at least I can get strong and try to prevent like muscular injuries and get more explosive while I am at home and working while people are competing and traveling. Yeah. And that probably gave you some of the base that you needed to then transition into CrossFit as well. Did you do CrossFit then or was CrossFit something you found after you stopped snowboarding? Yeah, I, I just always was into like, actually, when I first got on the junior national team, my parents are always like very um, like preventative in the sense of like, they didn't want to see us get hurt. So like, they're like, we need to get you trampolining to learn air awareness because your air awareness isn't great and we don't want you to hurt yourself. So that was like a big one I did like throughout my teen years. And then, yeah, when I got onto the junior national team, they were like, we need to get you a strength and conditioning coach. Um, so that was like one of our, our first kind of like my first hire. Um, and that was really big for me. And then I think I just took, I had a really strong liking for, um, like strength and conditioning in the gym. I really enjoyed it. And whenever I was injured, I would use that time to actually like research it. And I think even one time when I was injured, I got my personal training certification. Um, I was just always trying to like figure out what's the best program for me. How can I get stronger, more explosive? 
And so I was just doing a little bit of that. And then I had a local coach reach out who his girlfriend used to be a pro skier. Um, and so I knew her and she had gotten me to come to a CrossFit class and try some Olympic lifting. I didn't, I, I really enjoyed it, but I didn't like completely just dive straight headfirst into it. I was still like, I need to train for snowboarding specifically. CrossFit doesn't have much rotation and there's a lot of rotation in snowboarding and skiing. So I was like, I'm going to stick to my gym program and maybe learn some Olympic lifts as well. But I think to get some sort of like certification, he needed to coach like a national level athlete. So he was like, Hey, I'll like program all your stuff for you for free. And that was the summer of 20 summer of 2014. And then I would come into the gym. He would say, I'll, I'll coach you for free on your Olympic lifts. But then eventually as I started coming, he was like, Oh, just do this workout with us. Just try this. And then he was like, you are taking to this really quickly. You should like start doing this and just come to the classes because it's a lot of the stuff that you're going to do for snowboarding. And then you can do the rotational stuff, you know, on your own time. So I just kind of dove into that. That was the fall of 2015. So before my final season, and then throughout that whole time, whenever I was in Whistler at like training camps and stuff, I would be in the uh, training center doing CrossFit stuff after training. And then, yeah, basically dove straight into it once I stopped snowboarding. Yeah, I think strength training is something that does get really left out actually a lot of time. And I, I can't speak for a slope style, but in the free ride world, I don't know that many athletes that I was competing against that also just went hard in the gym. And when I was at my strongest, it was when I was going hard in the gym. So that's a big, like, there's a big stigma. Like, I feel like I faced a lot, definitely like a lot of teasing for like going, spending so much time in the gym. Like I would do a competition and people would go out and party. And I was like, I'm going to the gym. Like I got to work on this. Like I didn't do well at the event. I'm, I got to like, yeah, get up, get back on it. And, uh, I actually started a, like a training program, I think a year or two out of stopping competing. And I remember I spent like time on the, the phone with the, the head of like strength and conditioning for Canada snowboard and just asking, like, have things improved? Like have some of like my peers from before, like bought in more to training. He's like, ah, you know, they're getting there, but they still like, they just really didn't enjoy training it just wasn't cool but then you notice once they tear their acl once or twice all of a sudden it's cool and they're in the gym every single day and preaching the gym as like the way that they're coming back which i always thought was so interesting because i was like if you just did that before that happened you could have prevented that whole year off or sometimes i watch people like at competitions and they they fall in the last run and you could just tell like if they had a little bit more strength in their squat or like just a little bit more endurance, I was like, you would have landed that. And that's the difference between like gold or coming like 12. I was like, why do people not like understand that that matters? But I think it's just, they don't enjoy it. And it's still, still recognized as like more of a lifestyle than a sport. And so people are pushing back against the culture to actually train outside of snowboarding and skiing for it. But I think it needs to, needs to get there. Yeah. I actually had a conversation with my boyfriend about this the other day. Cause he was like, I, I did ski race when I was younger, but I really didn't like it. And then got into like free ride freestyle more. And he was like hardcore ski racer, like ski raced in Colorado for a university was on like the, um, the BC provincial team, all that kind of stuff. And there's probably times where we were both in certain places at the same time when we were growing up just because of that overlap. And I was like, yeah, you're probably like one of the ski racing boys in Pano. He was like, yeah, you're one of the freestyle kids that thought we were all losers because we actually yeah. try. <laughs> and like, we like, we're like training and going to the gym and you guys just wanted to party and everybody thought we were dorks. And I was like, that is definitely a cultural thing. I always say like, yeah. 
whenever I've gone to like a free ride event, I find that the free ride vibe at the bottom is very like community based, but then like I've been to like some slope style events and just like, it, it was such a weird vibe. It was like, they didn't stop competing with each other, but then it, there's still kind of like that cool kid vibe. And that might be like mm -hmm. a really harsh critique. Cause I'm not in the sport competing at that level, but just from like being in the community and seeing it. And then there is that kind of like cool kid vibe. It's like trying's not cool. So don't try. Yes. Kind of. You summed it up exactly, the cool yeah. kid vibe. I think that's exactly it. And I always really struggled with that because I like to say now I'm like a proud try hard. I was <laughs> like, that's just who I am. Like, I'm going to try really hard at everything and I'm going to try to make trying hard cool. That's like my, that's my brand, trying to make trying hard cool yeah. again. Man, um, I've yeah. been trying to be cool my whole life and I've just accepted that I am not. Yeah, I, I'm like, that's fine. I'm just a try hard and uh, hopefully trying hard will will become in style or we'll yeah. make it like the norm because yeah I I even the other day I saw like these girls and they were like filming a TikTok dance and my first judgment was like I had that first thought you know like a, that I think a lot of us do just like fighting judgments that we had when we were growing up of like oh like what are they doing like that's different and then I was like I do the same thing. I film all my training. I make TikTok videos. And I was like, that's awesome. Like they're not getting into trouble. They're having fun. They're being together. And I was like, and I just felt, I feel like seeing, being exposed to more things, seeing, be, putting myself out there more, I guess, like through video content, through just trying hard at things and failing at things has actually like made me more empathetic towards other people who are doing the same. And I definitely preach that hard of like, I think everybody should go out and like not be scared to like fall in their face and try hard and do things because then you don't judge other people who are doing the same. And I just know how hard it can be when you are putting yourself out there to get those judgments and like have to overcome the weight of that when you're trying to just be the best at what you want to do, or you're just really passionate about something. So yeah, I, I, yeah, just, I, I definitely, the cool kid vibe is very real. I think it's, it's getting better, but it's still there. It is. That's actually like our slogan for womb Tang is trying is hot. Yes, I love That's that. like, yeah, it's like we we live in the trying is hot because it's, man, that culture of like, if you're not like, if you can't immediately stomp a three out the gate, then you can't sit with us. It's like, uh, I showed up and fucking tried. Like, yeah. what do you mean? <laughs> it's like, not everybody has the air awareness of Sean White. Like, what are we supposed to do here? Yeah, so, I feel like that's a huge thing too. Like, like, oh, if you don't have this year's outerwear or if you don't have like next year's skis or this and that. And it's like, like, who cares? Like, Who cares? Yeah. I don't know. The industry made us think we needed to care, but really we don't. So yeah, I still yeah. fall into that this year. I was like, I need this jacket, but I got a new one last year. I'm like, why am I still in this mindset? Oh God. Yeah. That was me too. <laughs> And then there was inventory problems. And I was like, you know what? I actually have, I don't need a kit. I really mm -hmm. don't. And it's just accepting that. And I was like, I am so privileged to be able to just get a kit like that in the yeah. first place. So yeah, you know what? Trying's hot, being cool's out, being like caring and compassionate and I don't know, observant is the new cool kid vibe. Yeah. But I'm also just like not gonna try anymore. I'm a nerd, I'm a dork, it's fine. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh yeah. Yeah. But I think that's, I think that's what it's all about though. I think also it's like part of getting more, I guess, mature. Like I remember yes. when I was like a kid and I would see my mom do things and I was like, mom, like, you, you, why are you doing that in public? Why don't you care about saying this or doing this? And she's like, as you get older, you just don't care as much. And I've definitely noticed that. Like, I think it just, as I've gotten older, I just don't care anymore. And uh, I realize like the people I look up to are in the same mindsets too. I'm like, oh, what do I like really admire about that person? I'm like, oh, it just seems like they're just un like they're just unwavering in who they are and they just follow what that is whether it's going to make them look silly or not they just don't care and I, I really have grown to respect that yeah I think that segues kind of really perfectly into something that I wanted to ask you because you sound like you were so fiercely competitive as a snowboarder and everything else you did and that's why you got so good at it in the time that you got good at it but I identify so strongly with leaving competition and like having to figure out okay like what do I do now like who am I now that was all I did and then you talking now it sounds like you've reached this place where you still can be competitive with yourself in trying hard and like trying to learn but you found such a more balanced way to do it from just hearing you talk about it so I don't really know if there's a question in here and that or if that's just like a thing that I'm noticing but <laughs> well first yeah. I really appreciate that you brought that up because I that's something I've been honestly like working really hard at because I think in many ways I thought that I'd like I don't know I think when you go through like mental health stuff and then you kind of come out the other side you're like I'm healed like I'm good I'm done and that was kind of me before I tore my rotator cuff so I've been through rotator cuff rehab uh, since 2019. And that, in 2019, I was competing in the UK and China for CrossFit, like all over. It was kind of like my breakout season. And then I tore my rotator cuff. Uh, and then the pandemic happened. There weren't any competitions. And so I had to kind of like sit down and accept where I was at. And that got me to think back of like, what is my why for competing? And for a while, I was like, I wanted to prove to people that I am like this natural born athlete. And like, this is what I meant to do and all these things. And I was like, why am I holding on to that identity? Like, why am I holding on to trying to prove something to anybody else? Like, why don't I just do things because I love doing them and I'm passionate about it. And I love like being put under pressure in a competition setting and what I learn about myself through that. And like learning, you know, sitting back and thinking, okay, this is what I need to do in training to get better. Like, I just love doing that. And so I started falling back in love with training. And so over the past like, I guess year or so as my shoulder has been getting better. Um, I've been like training with a friend and we love competing. Like today we were at the gym and we were racing in the workout, seeing who could get faster, but it's not going to ruin my day if I lose the workout. Right. And similarly, if I go to a competition, I'm just going to compete against myself, do the best I can. And if that puts me first place, that's amazing. It puts me fifth place. That's feedback. Like, let me see where I can work on things. Um, but as long as I did my best, that's what matters. And I'm really excited to, once my shoulder gets better, like going into next season, if I return to competition, how that's going to play out, because I think it's just such a healthier mindset. I know I'm so bought into the process. I love like spending all day in the gym versus before I was getting to the point where I was kind of burning out of it. And so I'm, I am yeah, excited to test it out because I think that it's probably a much more healthy mindset for athletes to have. I know I, something I wish I had when I was snowboarding rather than just comparing myself against other people or like having this external motivation, because that can be like a big, like that chip on your shoulder can be a big motivator, but it's, I think it's only short term. It doesn't last so long. And if you achieve that goal, are you really happy at the end of it? And so for me, it's like being bought into the process and just loving the journey. Yeah, that, um, that's, 
huge. That is such a huge thing for people to unpack because like that whole competitive aspect, it also feeds into like who you're choosing to be your friends. And especially in like a dynamic where chicks are not always welcome in adrenaline sports or outdoor sports. It's like, and like having to be one of the boys, having to like have this certain skill set. It's like, it's not about competing with anybody else other than yourself, right? Yes. And just because your skill sets don't rise to that certain level and you're not like, reaching it doesn't mean that your value is any less and I think that's something everybody needs to unpack I honestly didn't unpack it until my therapist was like you are not good or bad you're not like in one or the other you can be in the middle <laughs> like it's not about those judgment aspects it's about like accepting your own journey and I think that yeah people listening to this hopefully they have that like damn realization because they're like no I'm not bad for this I don't suck because I lost this competition or anything like that so yeah yeah so. right like you're more than what you do and like your your worth isn't defined by like your results on the leaderboard or something like that yeah and I think what you said even about like you know needing to be one of the boys and this type of thing that was something I had to unpack a lot over the past few years too was like internalized misogyny that I had like growing up I was used to being like that girl who was at the end of the beep test racing just against the boys and like always beating the other girls and then so I was always like oh I need to be part of the boys and in the boys club and I was like wait a second who convinced me that there's only like one seat at the table for a, for a girl in whatever I'm doing like we need to fight for more seats at the table not for that only one and so that's been something I've been really unpacking as well of like how can we empower and uplift each other to have more opportunities rather than somehow we're getting pit against each other to fight for that only one and the respect of of men essentially absolutely um I I know that you still snowboard too like that was not I because I guess we haven't gotten around to it and maybe this is full circle but we talked about how you left snowboarding competitively but you do still snowboard so what is snowboarding for you now? And what place does that uphold? Because when we're talking about identity and, and whatnot, like it's about having more than one thing that you identify with yourself. It can be sport, but it should also be your friends, your family, your hobbies, what more than one sport that you do. Like you can have all these different things that you are passionate about. And that make up what you are. So if you lose one, you still have the rest. But you never, like, maybe you stopped snowboarding for a while, but you never fully gave it up because you do still snowboard. So what place does snowboarding have for you now? Yeah, it's, it's just such a healthier relationship. That was actually something I did in therapy was write a letter to snowboarding because I felt originally I held a lot of resentment towards it. I was like, I gave my whole life to the sport and, like, I ended up leaving with mental health issues and, like, this unhealthy relationship and all these things. And I was like, like, wait a second, this isn't snowboarding's fault. Like I still love like just snowboarding for fun. And so in a lot of ways, it's also pushed me to learn just to do things for fun. Cause when I was snowboarding, I wasn't like that. I was like, I can only snowboard and I can only do things that are going to make me a better snowboarder. Cause I have that singular goal of making the Olympics or whatever it was. So now snowboarding is just for fun. It's also really fun. Like I just love riding park labs and I go every week with my brother and we, we take the car. It's like a nice break from my regular routine. I see like different friends that I wouldn't usually see make new friends that I wouldn't have made. Like if just in the gym or training alone and things like this. Um, and it's, it's been really healthy for me to, 
not be at the level that I was. Cause in, especially even with CrossFit training, like you're always pushing to that next level. Can you hit this better lift than you did before or whatever that is. But when it comes to just snowboarding, I'm like, I'm just going to do a big back one and some front lifts and just tricks I like to do and know that I'm not going to hurt myself too much on. I was like, I like some days I'm like, Oh, what if I try this trick I used to do? I'm like, I don't need to hurt myself. I don't need to do that. And so having that relationship of like, I just can do this just for leisure. Um, I think has been really like important in my life. And then even I, I went to Revelstoke a couple of weeks ago and actually I did feel like I was pushing myself a little bit because I never really got to free ride. I was always like, you know, you only go places for competitions. And so all of a sudden I like put myself in the backcountry and try to learn how to hit cliffs because I feel like in slope style, it's such a controlled setting. You have this nice landing, straight runway versus I was like getting scared of these like tiny cliffs in Revelstoke. I was like, oh my gosh, what if the landing has like this big mogul and then I hurt my ankle or there's a tree. And so I had to like learn to overcome that. So in some ways still pushing myself in the different formats and like falling in love with that. Like I love the backcountry. I'd love to do more of that. Sadly, where I live, there's not much of it, but you know, maybe a trip a year would be, uh, would be awesome. But then, yeah, just learning to just do something for fun and just cause I enjoy it and the relationships. And I just feel like myself cause it just brings me back to being a kid and how that's all I did. I just love to like wear baggy clothes and go snowboard and I can just, you know, kind of be that person again, every, every week when I go on the mountain. That's such a wholesome way to come around. <laughs> I know that it was not always that way for you, but I, I feel like it just like brings it around to a good place. And I am experiencing a lot of that myself, like not competing anymore. I have spent the last year just learning how to ski and not be upset with myself if I'm not skiing well. And I finally like, I finally am getting there, but even just a couple of weeks ago, I skied with a couple of the top skiers in the world, like Freeride World Tour skiers. And it was such a big moment for me to ski with them on my weekend warrior legs because I'm going to school and working Monday to Friday. Yeah, I'm going to the gym, but like once, twice a week, I'm not in bad shape, but I'm not in skiing almost every day because it's my job shape or back when I was competing shape and obviously I can't keep up to them and I shouldn't be and being okay with myself in that I am still not that far behind but they're also like some of the best people in the world and I think it sounds ridiculous that I, to some people listening maybe that I would compare myself to that but when you're in a competitive mindset you're like I have to be that I have to be fascinated to keep up. These people shouldn't have to wait around for me. I will be embarrassed if they have to wait around for me because maybe they won't invite me next time. Mm. That wasn't even the case. Like they're just stoked that I'm there because they're my friends and they don't care if they have to wait for me and they aren't worried about how good I am at skiing. I'm the only person that's worried about how good I am at skiing. And I ended that day and I never put myself in the place of I should be able to keep up. I just had fun. And that was huge for me. Huge. And I love that. I, yeah. That is, it, yeah. It sounds kind of silly sometimes when I'm explaining it because I, I don't know if people understand, but then you're talking about it and like, you get it. Like, <laughs> I feel like you get it. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, especially like when I was a young snowboard and competing, I would ride with my brother's friends and stuff and always feel like I had to prove myself. Like I'm like, show them why I'm sponsored, why I'm, you know, on the national team program, why I'm competing. And so I felt like I had to be on every day because it was kind of like my job and it was kind of like what I do. So I was always like trying to impress people in a sense. And now it's like, I don't care. Like, I don't care if this other snowboarder is better than me or this other person's doing a trick that I used to do. Like, it doesn't, like, I'm like, that's fine. Like I'm chilling, I'm having fun. And that's, that's what matters. Yes. A hundred percent. I think that like entire con, I, I call it like being scared to take up space. Cause that's mm. kind of what it is. Like when you're like, I'm not fast enough, I don't belong, but it's like, Renee, you're not alone. Like I feel that too. Renee and I, I like, um, I skied in a commercial for Lake Louise with Sherpa cinema. And I was with like some really good skiers, but at the same time I had final exams and like final presentations. So I was up to like 11 o'clock at night and then had to get up at four in the morning to like go to the shoot for sunrise. And I was just skiing like crap. And I called her and I was so upset and mad at myself. I was like, I don't know why I'm here. I don't know why they asked me to be here. This is so stupid. Like I can't ski like these. She's like, Tori, it's just fucking skiing. And that's all it is at the end of the day. But we've created this like weird little cultural hole where it's like, you need to meet these criteria to fit in and belong. And someone taught us that. That's the wild thing is we didn't just show up thinking that. So like, where did that belief system come from? But at the end of the day, it is just skiing. It is just snowboarding. Somebody decided that they wanted to slide down frozen water on a piece of wood with plastic on the bottom. That is so weird. And we, <laughs> it's so weird when you think about it. <laughs> I always, actually, when I used to play hockey, I would think about that all the time. Like as a kid, I'd be like, why are we chasing around this rubber puck? Like that's just, it's, and, and then people get paid millions of dollars to do it too. Right? And I'm like, wow, what a crazy concept we've built here in this whole planet. But uh, yeah, sports are crazy, but really fun. <laughs> They're super fun, but it's meant to be like, like you said, it's like for yourself, right? It's not about existing in a certain capacity within that space. It's like really taking that motivation and making it internal. Like, is that intrinsic? Yeah, I think so. That's the right word. Yeah. Intrinsic motivation. It's like, not about that external motivation. I do need external motivation for some things like to get my ass out of bed, but you know, <laughs> internal for other more deep core rooted things. So, yes. Like external yeah. rotation or sorry, external motivation, thinking rotation, it's like shoulder rehab in my head. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, yeah. Motivation for like, yeah, the little things like, you know, your phone background or like little signs, like I have a sign that says believe kind of like in the Wow, I just forgot like the whole name of the show. But you know the soccer show on Apple TV, Ooh, Ted Lasso. Uh, yes, it's so good. Yeah, so good. I put like the believe sign, like whenever I'm having a you know rough day of shoulder rehab, I can look up at it. So it's a little bit of external you know motivation, but I think yeah, internal motivation for those things that like the long term, like the things yeah. that matter. That's the key. I have like, you know, embarrassing thing to admit on the internet. I have mere pep talks with myself sometimes. <laughs> it's like you were a bad bitch. It's like remember. <laughs> that's okay I did a I did a campaign with post-it notes and it was all like affirmations on post-it notes all around my house so now yes. like millions of people on the internet know me for doing the same thing so it's all that's good so funny I wish I could show you like all of my whiteboards and my notes because I do the same thing it's like I even had like floss your fucking teeth on my mirror <laughs> for a long time so I was just like those little outside reminders but 
it's good when you like have a supportive community that reminds you that your worth is not tied to something external as well, which is something we've really tried to foster in Wombtang. And it sounds like it's something you're trying to foster as well around you and like on a journey of pursuing it for yourself. Cause it does make like, it, it counteracts the burnout. You're not performing anymore. You're doing it because you love it, which is what it's supposed to be. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's that's the goal. Yeah, people who support you no matter what, and like also just supporting yourself no matter what. I think that's definitely the key. Yes, boundaries are hot. Therapy's hot. Trying's hot. It's like yes. just invest in yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Being proud, try hard. <laughs> try yes, hard, game. Try hard. <laughs> well, as we wind this one down here, do you? want to let people know where to find you and any parting remarks that you have kind of whatever you want here this is your chance to plug yourself (laughs) anything that you're doing any cool projects coming up um, whatever you want (laughs) cool yeah I yeah I'm at Natalie Alport on like all the social platforms I'm super active on like TikTok and Instagram Um, coming up you know not not much different from from the usual other than just training and getting my shoulders getting back there but probably maybe my one annual like park edit maybe like as I go to Tremblant every Sunday and Spring Park I usually someone gets the camera out and I might do like a back one or something and post it so if you like snowboard clips I don't post much of them anymore but there might be one coming eventually. Nice and I'm also wondering do you have any um good like since you do so much crossfit like maybe you could just give like a quick quick and dirty on what are some of the best exercises that people could do for snowboarding if they are looking to just like dip their toe into the gym you know yeah i mean squats are kind of just a like a staple i think like building up uh strength in a squat so that also you have like the uh explosiveness like coming out of it because and anything with skiing and snowboarding there's hip extension so taking off so yeah squats really great like deadlifts too um and then yeah things that build endurance in in your lower body so like assault bike sprints are really good like for conditioning but also endurance and even just normal like spin bike um sprints at like a like a high resistance and like intervals of that i think are really great because you know like people get very tired at the end of riding and it's that endurance in their legs that's like it's not the same as just like going out for like I don't know a 10k run 15k run that's kind of a different type of endurance you kind of want that like that ability to like flush out lactic acid and like be able to handle kind of the anaerobic parts because skiing and snowboarding is kind of an interval sport it's like go hard for like two minutes rest uh depending where you're riding obviously if you're free riding it may be a little bit longer uh, of a run or touring versus like slope style or, or things like that. But yeah, being able to kind of train those is really good. And then core stability and rotation and as well as like stability with in your joints, like ankles, knees, hips, also really, uh, really important for preventing injuries. But yeah, I just say like leg strength and endurance um, and stability is kind of the key. Man, listening to you say all of that, I was like, I need to go work out. <laughs> I was like, I'm such a nine to five unfit human being right now. I'm so scared to go skiing again, but oh, yep. Um, My legs were dead. Like at the end of those Revelstoke weeks, I was like, I feel so strong and so fit in CrossFit, like going into those. And by my 10th day of riding, I was like, how did I used to do this? Like my life used to be snowboarding all day. And then I do like two hours of CrossFit. I was like, 
my wow I'm proud of my younger self legs because I have no idea how they made it through but I didn't really like free riding even is more I think it's more tiring than like slope style because at the end of like the last day I was like let's just go hit all the jumps because it's actually more relaxing to do a big straight air and land like it takes much less effort than like riding some gnarly like free ride especially if there's not like fresh snow and you're like trying to like speed control all the time that's really tiring yeah fuck yeah it's so gnarly it's funny that you're like the back countries or like free ride is scary because renee and i are just like damn the park is so intimidating <laughs> it's just like i've like dislocated my ribs on like landing reverse taco in a rail or like overshooting oh, no. a jump and like how much speed do I need it's like I'll follow one of my guy friends in but he weighs almost 200 pounds and I'm 115 soaking wet so obviously <laughs> our speeds are going to be different <laughs> it's just the park is so intimidating for me oh yeah yeah so, we're, we're the opposites yeah I'm like yeah. park is like my comfort zone and then yeah going like to hit a cliff I'm like I can't see the landing I don't like this oh man okay but not being able well, to see the landing for everybody is just a bit gnarly yeah so. oh <laughs> man uh, I can like I can drop cliffs but like jumps uh, they always like mess up like what kind of speed I should have and I know they're consistent every time and like I can do a three off a natural lip but I cannot do a three on a park jump and like I don't know why but like for me park is so much scarier oh yeah I, th it's, I think it's just what you do the most right like just your comfort yeah. zone so if you did park like every day for a couple seasons it would probably be a little bit different um mm -hmm. and likewise if i spent like all my time free riding backcountry i would hope i would have a little bit more confidence in it yeah for sure yeah i think uh one thing with what you said about like your legs getting tired from skiing i always find that nothing like no amount of preseason prep that you do will prepare you for skiing like skiing is really the only thing that builds those muscles but going those specific muscles, but then going to the gym kind of builds those in-between muscles for better performance and to protect yourself if you fall and just like that overall just stamina. So you, you kind of need both. But I always find that no matter how much I go to the gym preseason, I still die for like yeah. the first two months. There's just no way. <laughs> it's, it's also, it's like those little nuances, right? Like you hit little bumps, like constantly. Yes. Like there's no way to mimic that in the gym unless, like I know people have those like vibration machines and they do stuff on them, but it's just, it's definitely not not the same. There, there's crazy machines I've seen <laughs> in the gyms. Um, but, uh, but yeah, it's like those little adjustments, right? You're making micro adjustments constantly when you're skiing and yeah. snowboarding. And it, the gym is very linear. Like you've got the bar, you're pretty safe. You're doing, you know, things on a certain, path of movement so it's just impossible I felt the same even with hockey as a kid like just to yeah. mimic like my groin would be tired and I'd be like I trained in the off season but it just yeah real sports like there's it's always going to be uh different from the gym to like actual real life for sure yeah big time um did we did we talk about your podcast did we plug your podcast yeah, we should do that before we go. We should because, do that quickly. Yeah, just quickly. Um, I know we are like running out of time, but then it's just so awesome talking to you. That, like, we could keep going. But yeah, I appreciate it. Natalie <laughs> does have her own podcast. If people enjoy listening to her voice and want to do that more, enjoy <laughs> listening to her voice. They're like, oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna talk like much nicer, not as harsh now. ASMR. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, if you want to check out the All In podcast it there's we have like a lot of sports psychologists on um athletes of all different levels and different sports uh talk about a lot of different topics but especially a lot on like mindset and then also mental health and women in sport and just like different topics that you can take from sport into life and and vice versa sick yeah 
I think um, shameful on my part. I haven't listened to it yet, but listening to that, I was like, I could use all of that. That sounds like (laughs) therapy in a podcast. Let's go. It's uh yeah, I actually, that is, it is my therapy somewhat. Like sometimes yeah. like having some of the, the different guests on, especially if I have like a, yeah, an expert on, on mindset stuff or mental health stuff. I'm like, Oh, like this is clicking with me as we are talking about this. So it's, yeah, it's, it's perfect. Yeah. I was going through all of my responsibilities with my, my therapist the other night. Cause I'm like, I'm like, I'm so exhausted. And she was like, well, what about the podcast? I was like, no, no, I love doing the podcast. It was like, <laughs> I get to information dump and talk to rad people of so many varying backgrounds. Like I learned so much. It's so cool. So yeah. Um, I learned a lot today. That was a great conversation. So thank you so much for coming on and yeah. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me. Sweet. Okay. Um, thanks everybody. We will see you next Monday.